If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. Today, I welcome to the show two incredible experts on fundraising events and really all kinds of events. They are amazing storytellers and great friends, Samantha Swaim and Kristen Steele. Samantha has over 20 years of event planning and fundraising expertise. She founded Swaim Strategies, a fundraising event consultancy in 2004, and works internationally with nonprofit organizations to produce impactful events that move missions forward. Sam is the co-author of Planning a Successful Major Donor Event, of which I have a copy, with its very dog-eared and full of post-it notes. And she's also the founder of the annual Elevate Fundraising Event Conference. She travels internationally to teach nonprofit professionals the tools they need to elevate the impact of their events. And now for Sam's co-conspirator, a writer and teacher by trade, Kristen Steele partners with nonprofits to increase their impact and fundraising by strategically improving how they tell their story at events. Kristen helped start the consultancy of Swaim Strategies in 2004 and is the co-author of the book, Planning a Successful Major Donor Event. As a passionate nonprofit advocate, she speaks nationally to help organizations generate change in their communities through events. Sam and Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. That's may we live up to that, but we're only here because of the shoulders of giants such as yourself. So thanks for having us here today. Oh my Super gosh, appreciate it. I am, feel like I'm the fortunate one. So you two are extraordinary, and that intro doesn't even do you justice. Oh wow! <laughs> so mutual admiration society is yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. Should we jump into it? Let's do it. All right. So how has gathering changed as a result of the pandemic? That is the million dollar question. It has. And I think that if we can all just sort of put our arms around that, we could all leap off together. Everything's changed. When we're talking about fundraising, we're talking about relationships and donors and people, right? And their priorities have changed. Their time allocations have changed. 
where they're spending time and resource, they're thinking about that differently. We can all put ourselves in that position, right? All of a sudden, with so many things stripped away, now what's important to me? What do I want to move forward? And I think, you know, we talk a lot about donors having personal missions. I want to bring that back into the space because they do. And so when they're looking at where to spend time and resource, it's with that in mind and how to move their personal missions forward. And we want our organizations to be walking hand in hand with them to help manifest that, right? So we use that as sort of the guiding principle. The thing that I really want to encourage and the opportunity and the change of gathering post-pandemic or tail end of pandemic or depending on where you are, are, whatever the right and what sort of your regional reality is, is our intention has to increase with gathering. We have to be more deliberate, have to pay more attention, listen, and be in a feedback loop so that gathering is meeting people where they are and where they want to be and is helping move their personal missions forward. Mm. Not necessarily different, but I think it's more acutely underlined now because it's something we can all really identify with. Yeah, I think that's so brilliant and insightful, Kristen, just by the sheer fact that you used the word gathering right? Because it really is about connecting with community, those who are aligned with the same values and intent, and those personal missions. It taps into basic neurology, right? We are wired as human beings to be in community together, to be connected to each other. And it's interesting to think about how everyone experienced the pandemic differently, and yet we all have this universal of experiencing something that separated us from some duration from the people and the community and the world we knew that the way we gather, how we have events, how we bring people together fundamentally has become more important, has become more appreciated, has become more valued, especially in that time when people were isolated. And I think there's still some people that are isolated, still lots of impact happening that Ultimately, we have to think about gathering with a little bit more intention around who and how and why so that we can really make an impact with our gatherings and our events. Yeah, so, so true. You know, I feel like some of our listeners, probably most of our listeners, have used the pandemic as a pause to reevaluate their fundraising event strategy. So how do we decide whether an event should stay? How do we decide if an event should be reimagined with more intention, as you're suggesting, and I completely agree, and how do we decide when an event should go, even if some wonderful, well-meaning board members love that event? I love this question so much because I feel like this evaluation is something we should always be doing. So I'm so glad that like a pause reset everyone and gave us the ability to do this evaluation. As with any nonprofit organization now or pre-pandemic, we never have enough time, staff, or resources. But especially post-pandemic, the needs of the community have grown. And as the needs have grown, demands on our organizations have grown. And we have to look at it from the perspective of time. Where is the biggest return on investment? I can absolutely 100% tell you that there is a huge return on investment in gathering people. I know that more definitively now because I'm seeing the return of in-person events is rebuilding community. It's a reunion. It is like 
a slugfest in some of these events. <laughs> and board members and leaders at organizations are seeing, oh, it's not just about the funds we raise. It's not just about the speaker. It is about the community that we're bringing together. But we can't spend all of our wheels just doing one event after the other. They lose meaning. They lose purpose. There are different event models to serve different purposes. And I think the first thing we have to do is look at how much time and capacity do we have? How does our event serve the overall fundraising strategy for the year? And what is the purpose of the event? Are we designing the event for our major donors? Are we designing the event because we need an acquisition funnel? Are we designing the event because we're launching a giving circle and we need the legacy society community? There's so many different reasons why folks have events, but I think we got really stuck in the world of we've always done it this way. And the world just said, stop. The way we've always done it got us here. It's not working. Stop. And now it's our chance to be able to say, okay, what's our real need and goal? And what are we going to do to address that? And likely it's one event. It's probably not 12 events a year. <laughs> in fact, I can tell you not probably definitively it's not 12 events a year it's yeah. not the easiest way to raise money i mean it typically does have the highest cost per dollar raise and i think yep. what you said is so important how does this event serve the overall fundraising strategy because i'm sure you've seen it and i certainly have seen organizations who have pre-pandemic had a legacy event and it was almost like a silo yeah we do this event in this month and we have this many people and our goal is X amount of dollars. And not enough runway often, right? Like you said, Silo, we do this event in this month and it's not being integrated in any other way. So the entire team is focused on year-end campaign, direct mail campaign, initial kickoff to the year campaign, capital campaign, major donor cultivation. And then all of a sudden, everyone stops what they're doing and focuses and it's and it's just so expensive and time consuming. And if you give yourself a runway, if it's integrated into the entire year strategy, if you are doing them in tandem, if you are doing your solicitation early enough, if you know who the guests are that you want in the room and you're asking them for their end of year gift and talking to them about next year's event and confirming them as a sponsor or a table host, that is going to yield your maximum resource for your least amount of time, your biggest ROI, return on investment. And that, to me, is the chance we have right now to break the cycle of, but we've always done it this way and everyone's going to expect that. The biggest change from our guest perspective is no one's expecting anything right now. Everything's up in the air. Everything's a possibility. Yeah. It's a very abundance-based view. And I love that. There's we a need more of that. And in that, I want to center and hold up our nonprofit friend. You are enough, right? Mm. You're in these trenches doing this work because, while it's hard to find some days, on a cellular level, you believe in this mission. This mission is your personal mission right now, and this is the change you want to make in the world. And I just want to offer the salve that it's okay to let the event go. Mm. And I think there's some sort of feelings of failure around that, but it's not. Pencil it out. If the hours and the return don't make sense, figure out who are the people that you want to continue cultivating and go cultivate them. 
Yeah. It doesn't have to happen in a hotel ballroom. It can look different. And I, so I think that's also part of the pause is how do we identify the pieces of the event that move us forward after the event's over? If there's nothing moving you after the event's over, then the event isn't worth that investment either. So I think there's a lot of returns on investment. And I think we always kind of talk about the idea of the event living outside of the room. How does that happen? How does that energy and zeal of gathering your community back together who hasn't maybe been, some of whom haven't been in the room together for three years, how do you take that energy, center it and engage it around your mission, and then they go propagate your mission and once they leave the room? That's an impactful event. And if that's not happening either, and the funds and the time don't make sense, it's okay to say, you know what, this doesn't serve us right now. Yeah. Revisit it next year when you're having a cut. Like, Nobody's like, well, you didn't do this event next year. I can't come this year. You know, it's like they will respect that you're being good stewards of their money. It doesn't make sense right now. Have those Agreed. conversations with the key people and lay it out for them. We talk all the time about the hamster wheel of the event cycle and just the fundraising cycle of often feeling like you're behind the timeline, you're behind the eight ball. And one of the easiest ways to get off the hamster wheel is to get in front of it. So if you have traditionally had a March event and you're just starting to talk about it in January, pause and start talking about March of next year. Because if you're ahead of it and you're thinking about your overall strategy, what conversations you're going to be having with key donors and key sponsors, you can be talking now about something happening next year that continues to pull your donor closer to you. And this is this incredible opportunity where you don't have to say, well, we had it on March 13th last year. We have to have it on March 13th this year. It's a moment right now to continue to think about donor stewardship and then how we use this moment as conversation and continue the dialogue with our donors and be getting ahead of our event cycle so that you're getting their commitment now. It's so much easier to get a commitment now for next March's event than to get a commitment now for an event that's happening in three days, you know? The Absolutely. The timing is just the hardest thing to overcome. If you're behind it, you're behind it. And I feel like it sends such a strong message to your supporters, to your corporate sponsors, to really the volunteers, anyone who's involved either in creating and executing the event or participating and enjoying the event or all of the above. There's just an appreciation like they're thoughtful, they're strategic, they're planful. Yeah. No, like who wants to be a part of our hot mess all the time? <laughs> like I'll do it because I love them, but sheesh, this is just so stressful. Well, and I think events are where we show our hot mess so often, right? Like we make our hot mess, our donors hot mess. It's the last minute phone call. I really was hoping you were going to be there and we don't see that you've RSVP'd yet. It's the coming into the event and having the registration folks still running around and trying to get things set up. Like the moment to breathe is now and take this opportunity so that we can get rid of the hot mess, keep that in the corner, can make that ours, and then really allow our donors to see our best selves, our planful selves, our thoughtful selves, so that, you know, maybe they give a little more. <laughs> Absolutely. And just have build more trust, right? We're yeah. deepening relationships. We're building more trust. We're being more credible. Like we're yeah. creating more credibility. Absolutely. And, and I think, too, I mean, even just looking back, I've been out of working in a nonprofit 
for a few years now. And just you look back and you think, oh, hindsight. Like when you actually take a breath versus being on that hamster wheel, like there is, I don't want to call it trauma. I mean, if it's trauma, it's like little t. But, but there is like this anxiety, anxiety like yeah. right, of being on that hamster wheel. And then when you're out for a moment, you look back and you think, ah, oh, if only we had done more wealth screening of who had actually registered. If only we had created a micro event inside that bigger gala for our monthly donors to reconnect. If only we had, right? Like there's a clarity in the pause that strengthens everything. It's also an endurance sport. So if you're running full sprint on the hamster wheel before the event, you know, people always ask us, when should I start thinking about my next event? And we're like, why don't you take Sunday off and then Monday, let's start that again. And they just look at us and cry, you know, and it's because you are so spent from yeah. this accelerated, stressful, anxiety filled thing that you get to the finishing line and you're like, I can't talk about that for six more months. And it's like, how do we build a sustainable model of events that serves your overall fundraising strategy mm -hmm. that doesn't shellac? You, your team, and all of your friends who are brave enough yeah. to volunteer with you because you need help. How do we build a sustainable model that feeds you, feeds your donors, and feeds your mission? And I yeah. think that if we start with that as the frame, that's the opportunity. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is that so much of that, the how, is in looking at quantity versus quality. So yeah. fewer events, fewer events, but so intentional and so purposeful and so meaningful. Well, and I think the key element about how when we think about our bigger overall strategy for the year and our fundraising goals is that this allows us the chance if we're ahead of it, if we're able to step off the hamster wheel and stop the anxiety sort of drama, let's call it drama instead of trauma, if we're able to stop that anxiety drama, what we're able to do is actually have much more effective conversations. Really simple example. I'm calling my presenting sponsor about this year's event. And now I'm able to tell my presenting sponsor, presenting sponsor, in nine months, we're having our signature events, Gila, and we've already booked the following year's event. And we want to talk to you about making a commitment to be our presenting sponsor for two years. Now I've just had one conversation that has done the work for me for two years. Not that I shouldn't talk to them again. We need to continue the relationship <laughs> with them. But we're able to have a bigger conversation. Same with our major donors. One of my sort of best examples of a really effective fundraiser, she's a development professional that's been in the work for about a decade. And her commitment to her donors is, I'm going to come and talk to you once about multiple opportunities for the entire year. So she has mapped out in January, what all of her fundraising strategy is for the year, blocks out her time and calendar, and then starts to have conversations with the donor about our end of year giving campaign, our capital campaign, and our signature event. And this is my ask of you. Could you be a lead gift and kick us off at the fundraising event with a $10,000 gift? Would you also be willing to host a table and bring friends to attend? Additionally, we have our end of year campaign. Last year, you contributed 5000 We want to ask if you would be willing to invest that again. 
And additionally, we're going to be getting ready for capital campaign. We're still in the quiet phase of that campaign, but we'd like to ask you to consider being a lead donor. Is that something I can come back to talk to you about in the next few months? Yeah. So that she's having one overall conversation. They're then talking to her about their priorities for the year, about what their giving looks like. Maybe they've had a life change that they can then talk to her about. We've retired, so things have changed for us, but this is what our giving could look like this year. Could we break up those payments? Could we make them now before the end of the tax cycle? That time is the biggest resource you have. And I know you teach this all the time, but as you're looking at your strategy, events are a piece of your puzzle that need to be included throughout, not as a siloed one-off. I only think about it when it's in crisis. This is your moment to gather people and show off your best selves, not show off your hair sideways. I haven't slept in three weeks. So, right. <laughs> That's reserved and- for family Christmas gatherings and holiday <laughs> gatherings. Right? And I think too, especially if we're asking some of our most loyal, committed supporters to host tables, to invite others, their credibility is on the line with their circle of influence. We want them to feel so proud And just so grateful to be surrounded by that circle. Absolutely. That's our job. Agree. Feel proud. It's relationship. It always comes down to relationship. I get asked all the time, what's the gimmick? What's the new cool gimmick? It's like, no, it is about relationship. If you are spending your time on the gimmick, you are getting the lowest ROI possible. It is the highest investment of your time and the least amount of your money. The games, the raffles, the the challenges. It's like, no, fundraising, relationship. This is about people hearing your story, feeling connected, feeling in community with you. It is not about, oh, we have the blinky lights this year that are selling for 10 bucks a piece. It is all about the community that you build in events. So good. All right. So hybrid events are all the new hype, right? So you are at the heart of all of this. What does that mean? What does it actually look like? What's inspiring you? What's really working? Simply put, a hybrid event is a way to engage an audience both in the room and not in the room. So as Kristen says, how does your event live beyond the ballroom or live beyond the gathering? And that's the simple answer. The more excitement, what excites us, what's interesting about it is that for a very long time, we've been doing a lot of work in the social justice space with organizations whose mission is expansive around equity, diversity, inclusion. And one night a year, they set that aside to perpetuate this dominant culture narrative of the charitable have, have not That if you have enough money, you can be in the room. If you have enough money, you can make a donation of a sizable amount and make the event worth our time. And that comes right up against mission and it comes right up against personal values. And yet it's the model that we have had forever to say, this is how it works. And all of a sudden, hybrid events cracked that open and gave us the opportunity to include everyone. And what we discovered is we're not just leaving out folks who can't afford the ticket. We're leaving out most of our staff, typically. And here is this night that is all about celebrating our work, our mission. What a value to have our staff be a part of it. We're also leaving out all of our clients. 
this is the community that we want to feel like this is an organization that sees me and is invested in me. And never do we include our clients in our events. Hybrid just opened the door. But then there's this entirely other community that we're not even touching on, which are folks who may be interested but don't know us. Friends of staff, friends of board members who don't live in the same city of the event. Someone who perhaps just doesn't feel comfortable in public spaces but loves this mission. There are so many reasons why spaces and events and venues are not accommodating to people. There may not be enough accessibility. There may not be a restroom that feels comfortable. There may not be a food option that feels accessible. There are so many reasons why people choose not to go to an event. It may just be, I'm an introvert and I don't necessarily want to be in a crowded room. <laughs> Stop talking about me. <laughs> it may be that Kristen's an introvert. She just doesn't want to be in a crowded room. Ultimately, what that does is open the door to say everyone can participate. Everyone can do what feels comfortable to them. Donor who loves the party, who loves the glam, who wants to be in the room, you are welcome. Individual who feels much more comfortable at home, who wants to tune in from abroad, who wants to be a part of it but has another commitment that night, you are also welcome. And that just sort of grew the world possibility for us. And it's been just such a breath of fresh air in the event space and just so wonderful to be able to lean into. And so many new technology tools have come out that have made it so easy and so possible to do. So for me, I think hybrid events have been the like exciting juice of what's possible. It also is just such a lovely mission alignment for so many organizations to grow who can participate and what that looks like for them. So I think it's something to consider, although it feels like I don't even know how to execute my event that's in a month. How am I going to consider making it hybrid? Again, if you're in front of the hamster wheel and are talking about next year, consider it then. Think about what you can do with a long runway. Yeah. Yeah. So who has done it well? I mean, when we think about the people who are participating from the comfort of their own home, are there ways that we can engage them other than just them just hearing lots of noise and trying to make out what's happening? What have been some of the engagement strategies you've seen that have been really stellar? So I love I, this question. I, it's great. I think the thing we have to remember with events whether they are in-person, hybrid, virtual, there's an audience. I think we often forget that. Yeah. You're on a stage, literal or figurative, looking out at people. And hybrid presents us a really amazing opportunity to stitch together a diverse audience coming to us through different platforms and ways. But we have to remember they're there. So if you have an in-room event that you're broadcasting out to a virtual audience, the in-person event needs to be reminded there are other folks out there. And the other folks that are out there have to have a way to be tethered, right? Yeah. To be in community. Now, I think you can go overboard on all of this really quickly. This goes to the blinky ring thing we were talking about earlier in terms of gimmicks, right? There are a lot of technology tools that are all about whiz bang. You can do this and this and this and this and this. And basically, you've turned an at-home viewership into a video gaming audience. That's not what we're talking about. It should be simple. It should be elegant. 
you should remove barriers. We're talking about folks who speak very different technology languages, right? In terms of, are they native users? Do they know that, how do we make this easy? As soon as you put an obstacle, people are out, right? I just, yeah. I literally want to click on the link and see what's going on. But also you have to think about how do we pull those folks in? A chat becomes a really easy way for people who are viewing from home to say, hi, I'm here. And to have somebody say back to them, it's mm -hmm. so great to have you and engage in conversation. We have sort of organizations that are a little more fraternal in nature, like they have classes and that sort of thing. That chat blows up like a reunion of people who are just so excited to talk to each other. And it just goes and goes and goes. And that's something that's happening during the program that we shush in the room, right? So it becomes a very different way for people to engage with each other. In the room, I think it's thinking about how do we create a dynamic experience for the person watching at home. You were just talking about this. I don't want to hear plates clinking and feel like I'm a fly on the wall and I'm not in the room. So what does that look like? That means my fundraising host on stage is going to take your text to give donations and it's going to read your mm. and it's going to say, I see you. Thank you for supporting this mission. Right. And it's about closing distance. I talk about this all the time when we're talking, whether it starts in the marketing ahead of time, it happens from the program from the event. Our whole goal in this work, in fundraising work, is how do I close distance between people? The more distance there is, the more opportunity there is for stuff to get in the way. How do I close distance? And so how do we use technology in that way versus creating barriers? And I think that speaks to that opening and democratizing events as well. Let me give our nonprofit friends just like a really tactical application of what Kristen is saying, because I think so often I hear, but I don't even know what a hybrid event is. So you've all seen and participated in a hybrid event anytime you've watched an award show. It's a great example. You have an audience and you're watching from home. That's a hybrid event, really simply. There's hundreds of ways we could do hybrid events. But there's a couple of really simple tools that they're using in those that I would in include in a fundraising event. So first, you want to make sure, as Kristen said, both audiences know that they're there. So we always script the MC before the broadcast starts to talk to the audience in person and inform them that we're about to go live and we're broadcasting to an audience around the globe. Then we include them. As we count in to our broadcast, we're going to ask you to cheer and welcome all of our at-home viewers so that as you come in and count in, you hear the audience in the room. Then we have the MC talk directly to the camera to welcome our viewers tuning in from home. So they have a moment that's scripted that says direct to camera and they pause and they look at the camera and they said, friends, thank you for tuning in from home. Really simple. It's a way to connect people, close that distance. So nice and so warm, and, right? Not like they're voyeurs. Right, exactly. We want them to feel part of it. We don't broadcast the reception, the dancing, the after party. We only broadcast the stage content, the presentation, the program. Additional to that, we always want to have an audience perspective, meaning we bring in a camera. It's a very simple technology of cameras connecting to a broadcast. It's like we're all producing TV shows now. But the camera, not just looking at the speaker, but a camera that looks at the audience as well. 
So we usually have one moving camera in the room that's handheld by a camera person that is looking specifically at the audience. So when you see bid paddles go up, when you see the audience laughing and cheering, we get to be included versus trying to figure out what's going on, what's everyone laughing at. So it allows us to go back and forth from presenter to audience, audience to presenter. And then finally, like Kristen said, we give the fundraising host, the auctioneer, the information about who's giving so that they can acknowledge people not in the room. So now you feel like you're a part of it as well. And the simplest tool to do that is a text to give tool because the text to give tools can bring their name up on the screen and the auctioneer can simply acknowledge, look at this, Tammy is tuning in and making a donation from home. Tammy, thank you for joining us tonight. Really simple way to include as they're roaming around the room with that would paddle 159 and 182 and 125. Thank you for joining me. Look at this. Tammy at home is also joining me. It's a really simple, elegant way to close that divide and bring donors in and make community in the moment. So there's a million other ways we could do hybrid, but the simplest, most sort of user-friendly is broadcast your program out to an audience and include a host or an MC and a camera view that is able to navigate back and forth to recognize the room and recognize the viewers at home. That's the simplest, simplest sort of solution. Yeah, I love that. I also love that you're not broadcasting, you know, the 10 p.m. dance floor. No. Yeah. No. That's like not that's <laughs> You know, even in person, that's when we said no more photography after 9 p.m. Yes, I think that's safe for everyone. Right? People just don't feel as fresh. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Here's Executive Director Josh Smith sharing what he likes about Bloomerang. We love Bloomerang because it's so, like, it's very user-friendly. We're able to do more because our daily tasks of thanking donors and sending thank you notes have been cut more than half because of Bloomerang. Year over year, we have raised more funds, so obviously I think Bloomerang's been a, a huge part of that. By investing in a donor management system that they actually love using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. You know, there's something else we can take from award shows, though, the red carpet moment that we are, you know, tuning in early to see. That is something that we have integrated into hybrid events by simply having our MC standing among the party and the reception area. And about 15 minutes before our broadcast begins, we will start a slideshow of sponsor thanks and our program begins and, you know, at the top of the hour and welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we'll interrupt that slideshow with the MC saying, Brett, I'm here joining you live at the museum where guests are gathering. And we are so excited to broadcast out to you at home. We will be getting started shortly. Stay tuned. We'll be back with you. Really quick and simple. Again, handheld moving camera makes that easy. 
And it allows the guests to get like a little snapshot of the reception or what's happening without feeling like, oh my God, why are we just sitting here watching this? This is so boring. It builds the excitement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and little touches. I mean, things that we've done with clients is if there's a signature cocktail of the evening, we'll send the cocktail mocktail recipe for them to make at home. Yeah. Well, again, just those little connection points, as you point, like the connection points. Yeah. I think the question we get a lot from folks is we're used to Zoom world, right? We're all living in Zoom world. And the question we get from a lot of folks is, should we host a reception in Zoom beforehand for our virtual guests? And definitively, no. (laughs) It is not effective to bring a room full of strangers together into a Zoom meeting because Zoom doesn't allow us to have cross-conversation, intimate conversation, to be like connected to each other in any authentic way. Now, with that said, if we do want to have something that does connect our at-home viewers, the best way to do it would be after and include some element of the program that just happened that they just watched. So if I just watched a keynote speaker that was super inspiring and now the at-home audience gets to tune into a Zoom call with a keynote speaker and ask them a Q&A, that can be very effective. Yeah, but right. a group of strangers popping into a Zoom room and just being like, "Hi, hey, what are we doing?" Awkward, awkward. So awkward. we've spent three years doing that. <laughs> like, no, why? Why do I want to do that in my off hours? Thank you. I mean, those examples, that guidance, just really made hybrid come to life in a very powerful way. Great, like in ways that our listeners can apply. Maybe not for their spring gala, but <laughs> for the forward. Gala, right? The spring yeah. of 2024. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So let's talk about some other ways our listeners can use gatherings to emotionally connect to donors and propel their missions forward. Great question. Story, 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 says the writer. I, I can go on forever about neuroscience and emotional connection and the things that get released in your body and brain when you make that emotional connection and what that looks like. But at the heart of it, human beings are wired for story. It's how we make sense of the chaos. So when I don't understand what's going on, when it gets parsed to me in a package that has a beginning, middle, and end, all of a sudden, what was a mess all of a sudden comes into line for me, and I lean in in a different way out of understanding, right? And so we want to bring folks into our mission via story. I think sometimes... We make assumptions about what people understand about what we do and how we do it. And what we want to start with, we believe that Mm -hmm. this is the future we're all working for together. How we do that kind of is a little bit more down the line. And that's no disrespect to program staff. Your work is critical. The programs you're shepherding are critical. But that bigger belief brings us into the room together. And then we can start to figure out, what's your mission? What are you interested in? Great, let's talk to you about that program, right? So sort of that. And so how do we at gatherings show our mission in action and show the impact, which I want to say is transformation, right? And person-centered storytelling is how we do that. How do we empower the storyteller who is not a storyteller, right, as the organization the transformational moment and the person it happened to is the storyteller. And how do we set a stage, literal or figurative, for them to share that story and to share that transformation in a way that isn't 
that sort of savior complex of like, right. their life was terrible. And then we fixed it. We've all watched that kind of, you know, for a cup of coffee a day, storytelling throughout. And what we really want to advocate is the gatherings provide you an opportunity for you to listen to someone seated in their own power, telling their story their way. And I think gatherings allow that there is something so magical about living our lives in front of each other. It's why we go to plays, right? That that sort of live experience. I know we just talked about hybrid, but I just boiled down to its essence. People sharing stories with one another. That's where change happens. And it's really the only thing that's important. Mm-hmm. And that should be how you're centering your fundraising too, right? Those conversations with donors. Like it ripples out into all that we do. And so I think the biggest piece is like, how do we bring people into the impact of the mission? And the way we do that is to have folks who are impacted talk to us about what they want us to hear. I always say nothing happens until somebody feels something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm so in agreement with you, Kristen, in that the story is everything. And we are accountable. We are responsible for working with program staff to identify participants who telling their story will be an empowering experience. Right. They're in a place in their journey where they own that story. Their story no longer owns them. Yeah. Right. And we're not reinforcing stereotypes. We're not parading or Definitely. having people feel shame or like they're on display, but rather it is an empowering experience. And, you know, I always say, you know, when you've done it right, when there is a line of event participants waiting to talk to that person when they step off the stage. And to say, can I give you a hug? Like, you so inspired me. And you just see that storyteller, that person who owned their transformation, beaming yeah, with pride and accomplishment. Yeah. And I'd be remiss as an ethical storyteller not to really underscore consent being a large part of this. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I think- form, The form, the consent form? Consent form, but also conversation, right? I think- Like we within organizations are like, this is a great story and this impacted me. And we throw all these ideas forward, right? But at some point we have to go back to somebody and say, look, we have this gathering of folks and this is what the point of the gathering is. And your story has so impacted me and these are the ways. And I'm super interested to see how you feel about sharing that story with other people that support this work. Yeah. And then just, right? So I think that sort of relationship, it's continuing a relationship with your, with your folks before, during, and after. I made the joke, like I always say consent is more than a form, right? <laughs> so consent to not just sharing their story, but how you share it, where yeah. you share it, how long you share it, making certain that it's their voice, not our perception of their story. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, this just gets me on my soapbox. Yeah, go, you go. <laughs> but just making certain that they can withdraw that consent Yeah, at any moment. And we honor that immediately. Yeah, it's interesting too. I think our time and how we spend it has changed. Our priorities as humans have changed. And so when if we have a very limited window of engagement, a very limited attentive audience, the best way that we can move that audience is to focus it on our stories 
and the stories of our clients in a nice, tight, short format. Pre-pandemic, I think we were in, you know, three, three and a half hour long galas and programs. And now, you know, we need an hour. Like we really just need an hour. We don't need to have everything. It's not a kitchen sink experiment. It is a let's bring people together to tell our story. Everything else we do the rest of the year in our programming and in our work is the mission and the story. And so often we tell other people's stories of our partnerships and our supporters. And this is the moment to tell your story is to focus on your mission. We frequently talk about that story being in five chapters for your event. The first chapter is a welcome. Simply, we're so glad you're here. And let's bring the audiences into the room and connect them. Second chapter is this is who we're here to support. Because yes, you have donors in the room who know you but you absolutely guaranteed have people in the room who don't know you. So if you don't talk about who you are, why you do what you do, you already have lost your audience. So you have to speak to the work of the organization, the mission. We usually like to do that in two ways, show and tell. Our show is typically a video. We use video to give the big picture, paint the big picture of our mission. And then we tell with an executive director or board chair who can share the vision of the work. Then chapter three is fundraising. We don't want to wait and push fundraising to the end of the event. The business of this event is fundraising. So the fundraising has a story element that has to be at the center of it. We have to tell the story of impact, one of our clients, how they've been impacted, and then we can solicit support. And then we can move into all of our other business of the event with gratitude, an inspirational speaker, And then finally, something that is like the sweet dessert at the end that sends people out with some surprise and delight, a performance, a spoken word, music, you know, inspirational speaker that comes and closes us out, something that sends people out on a high note. Really tight, really simple, but centered in story. All we're doing is telling story. And when that client who consented to telling their story is in the room and able to come to the stage, we can tell their story in a video where they don't have to be nervous and and be scared in front of an audience, but then we can bring them to the stage and they can simply look at the audience and have a real reaction and the audience can really respond back and they can say, this work is important and I'm asking you to give. Really simple. That connects us, that closes the gap, that moves giving. And what people leave there talking about is that story and that person. They don't leave there talking about the three and a half hour boring event. They don't leave there talking about the chicken dinner. They leave there talking about the work that you're doing and the impact you're having. And now the real benefit of gathering happens and they are now your evangelists out in the world sharing with the world how important your mission is. And you taught us that from your work with story tours that so often in your story tour work, you're not even making an ask. You're simply saying, who else needs to know about this work? Well, if we've done our storytelling well in a nice, concise way, people remember it. And then they go out in the world and they share it. And that's more powerful than all of it combined. So the benefit of the event suddenly is about the community it creates, is about the funds you raise, but now it's about the tale it's going to have out in the world, sharing with other friends and with other community members 
And if you've done a hybrid event, you also now have it all in video and you can share it on social media. <laughs> Repurpose content. Mm-hmm. Repurpose content. It's a dream. I love it. So many great takeaways out of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. You've spoken to this a bit, but for many organizations, the gala has historically been a bit elitist, right? Exclusive at best. And you've been pushing the envelope in democratizing events and guesting to be more inclusive. Tell us about how you've done that and strategies our listeners can apply to create a broader access and bigger belonging for our marginalized communities. I love this. I think we've touched a little bit on that idea that event spaces haven't always felt comfortable. But one of the elements I think when you talk about elitist is that they're expensive and they're more expensive now to produce than they were pre-pandemic. Food costs have gone up. Labor costs have gone up. Supply and demand has gone up. So all of a sudden we're in that situation where we really have to look at how much are we spending to raise? And one of the ways that we can spend less is there's less people in the room and yet we don't want to exclude. And so the first thing that we've been talking a lot about is hybrid. Hybrid has opened up for us the ability to include free broadcasts, to include storytelling that gets distributed to bigger audiences. We've been using a couple of key tools that are broadly expanding how people give and what motivates them to give. So pre-pandemic, we would be in front of 300 people in a ballroom and we would ask those 300 people to give. But of course, most of them are guests of like come together as a couple. And so we really only have about 150 people that can give in that room. And we encourage them to raise those paddles and we recognize those paddles as a number. And in that, we're tapping into that applause and celebration and feeling a part of something and being recognized for your giving. And it's powerful. But now we have learned that there are all of these resources and tools that have been developed that allow very simple text to give tools where I can now pick up that cell phone that is in my pocket anyway, or that is sitting next to me on the table. Mm -hmm. And I can text my gift in and my name appears on the screen. That is like donor stewardship happening live in real time. And if the donor is in another country and is watching from abroad and texts their gift in, they still get the same recognition as the donor sitting in the front row that raised their paddle. But in addition to that, we can now include a thermometer and suddenly we're all now working on a collective goal. So it's not just about recognizing the paddle and now becomes about recognizing the name, seeing the name on the screen and all working toward a collective goal. So We always talk in fundraising like every gift matters, right? We're focused in telling our donors every gift of every size matters. And yet the reality is, as fundraising professionals, we're having to navigate our time. And so we're focused our time on those big asks. And we're spending a lot of time building relationships with those folks. This suddenly is doing donor stewardship in the moment and demonstrating that a $10 gift matters. So the sort of inclination I think a lot of people have is we have limited time. We want to move through this quickly. But you know what? If you want to build a relationship with your donor, you recognize every single donor. You thank every single donor. You say, Kristen, your $10 gift. Thank you so much. We see you. Thanks for joining us. And that person at home is like, they see me. Do you know much about Peloton, Tammy? Oh, I do. Yeah. I got a knee surgery. She told me I was a boss. 
<laughs> so if you've ever been a part of a live Peloton ride, yes. the benefit there is that you have the opportunity to possibly get called out, right? Oh, Tammy, you go, girl. That moment pulls you in and makes you feel like you're a part of something. We just did that. We just did it with a $10 donor. And here is the fact that is happening in the sector. I know you've been talking a lot about the reports that have come out that donors are declining. I want to fight that and say, I don't think they're declining. I just don't think we've been in community and relationship. We've been in crisis. And so donors are not engaged and participating. Therefore, they're not giving as much. It's not that they're not there. It's not that they don't have capacity. It's that they haven't been asked or engaged in the way that makes them feel a part of it. And we have younger donors that are coming in and over the course of their lifetime, giving more than our boomer donors who make one $10,000 gift in a gala, they're contributing to monthly giving. They're contributing to giving three, four, five times a year. And over the lifetime will be a much larger donor than that once a year $10,000 gift. So if I say, Kristen, thank you for your $10 gift. I see you. I've just started to build a relationship with a lifetime donor. Now, if I can secure that donor with another gift in the next six weeks, my likelihood of having them as a lifelong donor and retaining them is over 80%. So this opportunity to democratize your fundraising events and include hybrid is all about utilizing really simple tools to say, I see you, I'm invested in you, I want you to be a part of this work to steward them in the moment, recognize them in the moment. And that taps into all of those little things that are human neurological connections of I'm involved because I believe in the mission. I want to be a part of something and I want to be recognized for being supportive in that work. So to me, the opportunity right now is huge. And I think there's a real big rush back to everything we've always done before. And I want to pause and say there are new resources in new ways. What we were doing before wasn't the only way. Why rush back? We have a pause right now and an opportunity to say, how do we do it better? How do we bring everyone in? How do we value them? So that the development director that's in my seat three decades from now is still talking to the donor that I cultivated for $10 today. That to me is the opportunity that we're sitting on. I absolutely love that. And, you know, let's just try and find the best things, like the silver lining of this pandemic right. and to maximize these opportunities. So good. Oh, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. Thank you both. Absolutely. You. Thanks for having us. Oh, my goodness. At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire insightful questions to just to give a little extra value to our listeners. And... I'm going to ask each question and have each of you answer respectively, okay? Great. So the first question is, what's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Managing expenses can increase your revenue out of the gate for an event. Very good. I would say Susan Howlett's research is like at the core of everything I do, which is people give for three reasons. They are motivated to give for your mission. They're motivated to give because they want to be a part of something and included, and they are motivated to give to be seen and recognized as a part of that community. If we do those three things every single time we talk to a donor, every single time we run a campaign or produce an event, we're going to see success. Yeah, so good. What book do each of you recommend to our audience and why? I like Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall. It goes beyond like, hey, humans are hardwired for story and here's how it looks. But 
how do we use that to emotionally and connect? Awesome. And I don't have that one. It's good. All right. Amazon.com. Here I come. I have two. So The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, you've talked about a number of times on your podcast. It's just a gem. And her work is just such a great request of the world to pause and think about how we come together in a meaningful way. But I also want to encourage folks to pick up Simon Sinek's Start With Why, because that golden circle of why is at the core of how you move an audience to give, how you move a donor to engage. So the golden circle of why or start with why is at sort of the heart of a lot of what we do. Excellent. What are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser must possess? The ability to be in relationship, like actual relationship, to be a storyteller. I think that's hardwired into us too. So I think storyteller is a buzzword. And I think people hear that and go, I don't know how to do that. It's like you do. You do it all the time. And thank you, Peter Drury, how to be a story listener. Mm. Because yes. your donors have stories to tell you too. I'm going to repeat some of what she said because I think that that's also at the core of a good fundraiser is listening. I think that so often we're nervous about talking about money and we just like talk right over the donor. And if we just pause and listen. But the third thing that I want to add in there is curiosity. You have to have a genuine curiosity about your donor. You have to have a desire to actually know how they're doing. Ask them and listen to them. Because your donors will tell you a whole lot of information that can inform how you engage them in the future. So that sense of curiosity just like opens the doors. Genuine curiosity. I love that. Love all of those. What's your favorite fundraising application or tool? We learned this from a really great development director. We've worked with us for a very long time. It's Post-its. Post-its. Um, it's Post-its. Post-its. Your, your donor, Tammy, my donor, goes at the top of a post-it. And I keep notes on the post-it and I move that post-it across my board. Of, did I talk to Tammy this week? Huh. Something really visible. And then something super visible and easy. Sure. And I know that my work for the week is done when my post-its have moved to next week. It's active cultivation in a really simple way. You can deep dive from there, have it on the wall in front of you. And you're looking at those people and those relationships. Yeah. Front and center. Love that, yeah. Kristen. My answer is similar to Kristen's, and that is a calendar. It is making sure that we're talking to our donors regularly. And so our shout out to Juan, if he is listening, he is one of our favorite development professionals, and he's masterful at the relationship. His donors are genuinely his friends. And the piece of the puzzle that he uses those post-it notes for is to make sure that he is talking to his donors regularly. So he will create a calendar that lives on his wall and move that relationship through the year. And if he sees that someone hasn't moved, that becomes his priority. I haven't talked to Kristen in the past two months. I need to reach out. I need to drop her a note. I need to see how she's doing so that he's consistent. We get lost in all the, I have to do, I need to do, I need to do. And it's, you know, time blocking. So you carve out time to make calls and talk to people and visibly thinking about seeing and being reminded about the relationships you're stewarding. That to me is like the easiest tool out there. Awesome. What's your favorite fundraising conference and why? Well, I'm a big fan of the nonprofit storytelling conference for many, many reasons, but I think stories done well are your best fundraising tool, period, the end. You can add a bunch of stuff from there, but if you don't have that at the center of it, you're, gonna, you're not going to maximize 
your ass. And because my focus is on fundraising events, my favorite conference is Elevate, our fundraising event conference that we produce to support organizations and really focusing on their event fundraising, not just their fundraising strategy. I have not made it to Elevate, but it is on my radar. So share with our listeners and me the date for Elevate in 2023. Well, we are actually taking our own advice and stepping off the hamster wheel. We are completely reimagining an Elevate 2.0 that will include a lot of online learning content, a lot of asynchronistic learning, and our next gathering in person is in February of 2024. Awesome. Well, keep me posted on that. Will you? Oh, we will. You're on the top oh, of my list. You're, you're on a post-it to have a conversation I'm with. A post-it. <laughs> awesome. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, about events, about storytelling and relationships, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and talk. Mm-hmm. That you can overcome a lot of the minutia and the, I don't know how to do and is the sponsorship packets a thing and I need a logo. Hi, how can we work together? What's your mission and how can we help move that forward? Good stuff. I would say be curious and have fun. I think that uh, there is a lot of stress put on us by boards and by leadership teams and by program staff around needs of an organization. But if we're not having fun, One, we're missing the fundamental start of fundraising. And if we're not having fun in the work, the building of relationships becomes really hard because we kind of vomit our stress on our donors and we make it theirs. (laughs) And this is an opportunity for you to sort of bring some joy into the work by helping people feel celebratory about the work. Fantastic. Thanks again, Sam, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah, super glad to be here. Thanks so much. Mm, Our pleasure. If you want to learn more about Samantha Swaim, Kristen Steele, or Swaim Strategies, or follow them on social media, learn more about their book or their Elevate conference, we'll include links to their handles and their website in the show notes, as well as links to all the other resources, books, and conferences that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now for a final word from our sponsor. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransformed.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast 
and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.